We're going to turn over to uh, Luke chapter 10, if you would. I've been going through uh, several parables. This is the third one that we've looked at. I mean, if you uh, were to go through all the parables, we'd probably be having about 25 messages or so. Uh, But I'm not going to preach from all the parables, but I did take a few of those. And uh, this morning, I want us to look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And this parable in particular is dealing with what we would call the Good Samaritan. And what, uh, what that means in terms of how it should, um, what, it's, what the intention of Christ giving this parable was. Because in a parable, you remember, a parable is a, you can think of it as, um, you, could, you can take it like an earthly picture or story that has a heavenly meaning. Okay, so if you, if you think about it, as you look at a parable, God, Jesus taught many, many parables, and it's all pointed to the fact that he wanted to teach a specific spiritual truth. And usually that's found not just in the parable itself, but in the context surrounding the parable. So you have to keep those two things in mind, because otherwise you could misinterpret the parable. But uh, this morning we're going to be uh, reading uh, from Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it really uh, begins with uh, a lawyer. And uh, you can picture in your mind a lawyer, and uh, uh, well-studied, well-versed, but these lawyers were scribes. And they're well-versed in the Old Testament. And so he comes to Jesus, verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself to Jesus. And who, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Not dead, but half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. That would be two days' wages. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And may the Lord add his blessing on his word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, as we come, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and to minister to my heart as well as to the hearts of your people here this morning. Uh, Father, we, uh, we desperately desire to know more of what it means that uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, Father, came to us as we were enemies, as we were uh, haters of God, and uh, he opened our eyes that we might see. 
and ministered grace to our soul that we might, uh, Father, that we might believe and that we might uh, see the, the, the glories of heaven, but also that we might see the forgiveness of sins that we find, find only in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we come this morning, Lord, asking for your blessing on our time together as we open your word and as we uh, declare your, your, your goodness and your mercy to us. Uh, Lord, may we see Jesus. Uh, Lord, we desire that in our heart, in our mind, in our thoughts, that we would see more of Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, this uh, particular parable is, begins with kind of a question-answer. So as you think about how Jesus approached this, this particular question, it was a question that was being asked by a lot of people during, during Jesus' ministry. But in particular, you'll notice he asks a question and Jesus responds by asking him a question. <laughs> Which is interesting how to kind of like form, kind of get, get him to thinking. Then the man responds with an answer and Jesus said, you answer correctly. And then Jesus tells him, do this and live. And it says that the man wanting to justify himself, isn't that, isn't that something? We just want to justify ourselves. I just want, I want you to know this is why I did it. When you, I mean, think about it. Every time I've been caught in some, something, I always say, well, I did this, what? Because, <laughs> and we tend to want to justify ourselves. Well, he's trying to justify himself because he knows. See, in his mind, if you can think of it, the, the scribe, a scribe was a, often were Pharisees, but they were considered the law keepers. They were considered the people who interpreted the law. And in his mind, he had already kept the first commandment, the first, the, the first portion of the law. In other words, to love God with all your might, your strength, and your soul. Because if you didn't do that, you were an ungodly person. So they considered themselves godly. They, 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 had, they had actually obeyed the first, they thought, the first table. And so Jesus says, well, if okay, you think, you think that. And then the man realizes, well, who is my neighbor? We'll, we'll get Jesus. We'll trap him here. That's kind of silly anyway to think you can trap Jesus. But he's thinking that in his mind. And so he says, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus tells the parable. And then what? after the parable, Jesus presents him with another thing. Go and do likewise. And in both of those cases, when Jesus tells him to do something, he's presenting a problem that this man knows that he can't solve. And that he needs somebody, something else, something, something to help him. And so we're going to look at that. How does, how does the lawyer's question kind of get things rolling here? So we're going to start with this question. And we saw that question uh, given to Jesus here in verse 25. But you notice uh, as we read the New Testament, later on in Luke 18, there's a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you need to obey the law and so forth. And he says, I've done it all. And Jesus says, well, go sell everything you have, because if you really love God with all your heart, might, soul, and strength, and you know, you really, your money is not worth anything, right? And if you need to, if you need to give that, and of course, he, he had a problem with the fact that he really didn't love God. And so Jesus uses that. But then later on, when Peter's preaching, remember, in Pentecost, he basically preaches this message, and the people say, what must we do? And Peter says, well, you need to repent and believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
And then later on when Paul is, is preaching uh, to uh, the Gentiles and, and, and Philippi, and, and uh, remember the, the, jeweler, the jeweler comes to Jesus or comes to Paul and Silas, and they're, they're singing praises to God, and he says, uh, what must I do to be saved, right? That's on people's mind. Did you realize that probably, you know, I mean, that's the, probably the most important question that anyone could ask themselves, but anyone else, really. What must I do to be saved? I mean, there are people thinking that, well, if I do this, maybe God will be happy with me. Maybe if I do that, if I can just obey these rules. And that's what was in the mind of the scribe. I mean, he's thinking there's something that I can do that I can, that I can get God to be accepting me. And so this is a good question. It's not a bad question. But the motive's wrong, right? What was his motive? Justification. Justification. And he's trying to trip Jesus up. It says he's testing Jesus. I mean, there in it, that in itself tells you something about how he, how he viewed Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And it says, you shall not test the Lord thy God. I mean, right there should have been a clue. But see, he doesn't see Jesus as God at this point. He doesn't see that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He doesn't see Jesus as the Messiah that's coming to fulfill the Old Testament. And so already he's, he's kind of on the, he, it's kind of like, um, if you're going to test Jesus, somebody said you need to be sitting down because that way you won't fall as far when, you, when he basically uh, shows you up. And, 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 that's, and that's exactly what's happening here. He, he's... Uh, it's almost as if he knows the Old Testament, but he really doesn't know the one who wrote the Old Testament, does he? He doesn't really know what the Old Testament's all about. Um, like if you were to ask people today, what must I do to be saved? What, where would they go for the answer? I doubt if it is the word of God, but Jesus did say, well, what does it say where? In the law of God. And the law of God is, is, is summarized in two, two, two commandments. One is to love God with all your heart, might, and soul. And secondly, what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands hangs the whole law and the prophets. So, so Jesus says, what's the source of your authority? And he says, well, it's the Old Testament. The problem is we can know the Old Testament and then not really understand what it means that we're lost. And, and that's exactly what's happening here. But... but you know, if you were to ask that question to people, they say, well, public opinion polls say that 60% of Americans or maybe 30% or whatever, they, they believe this about Jesus. Well, I believe Jesus is a good person. I believe Jesus was a good man and he did good works. But that's not what the Bible says, right? Where's your authority? And it's so important as Christians that we always go back to the scripture because all scripture has been breathed by out by God. It's inspired. That's the word inspired. It's breathed out by God and it's profitable for us for not only eternal life, but for every phase of life. For everything you think about in terms of your relationship with God, the Bible is going to give you guidance and instruction and teaching. In fact, uh, Timothy, when Paul was training Timothy to be a pastor, he says, until I come, he says, I want you to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So one of the things in the Old Testament they did is they would spend time, every service, every time they met, reading the Old Testament, both the law and the prophets. That was common. And the reason for that is to establish 
a point of reference for us as Christians. Always to be, our point of reference always has to be, thus saith the Lord. That's kind of the, but, but, but so often what happens is we, we say, well, you know, but what, what do other people think? But their source of authority is not the right authority, is it? It's not thus, it is not the word of God, which it says the word of God stands forever. Every word in this book is going to be fulfilled. Jesus said it like this, that every jot and tittle, do you know what a jot and tittle is? Every period and comma of the law is going to be fulfilled. I'd say that's pretty exact. That's down, that's about as, that is about as, exact as you could ever be about anything down not only just to the 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 prepositions (laughs) not only down to the verbs or the nouns it's down to the very dot jot and tittle to the very period and commas of the old testament but but notice Jesus' response because the man does go to the law of moses and he does a quote from uh from deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 6 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he should have said, he should have coughed a little bit and says, Lord, I haven't obeyed. <laughs> but he didn't. He just says, uh, but Jesus said, do this and live. And, he, and, and, and Jesus said, well, you know, you've answered correctly. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, and yet this man wanting, it says, to justify himself. In other words, he's looking, what are lawyers typically doing when they use the law? They're looking for a loophole, aren't they? What's this man looking for? Well, what does the word neighbor mean? <laughs> you know, see how, see how kind of like, okay, let's play some word games with Jesus. What does a neighbor mean? What does it mean to be a neighbor? And Jesus is going to turn it around on him and say, are you a good neighbor? And so it's kind of interesting how Jesus does this. But but notice the Jews had this idea that the circle of love, if you think about the circle of love, the people that you are, are your neighbors, guess who they thought were their neighbors? Obedient Jews. (laughs) In other words, religious Jews who obeyed the law of God, the ceremonial law perfectly, washed their you know, pots and pans a certain way, and they washed their hands. They poured water on their hands so that nothing dirty from their arms got dripped down on their, their hands before they ate. They, you know, and, and they did all these external things, and those were the people that they were to love. And they didn't even love all the Jews. Like In other words, I mean, like, for example, remember the man that was blind in John chapter 9? They said, you're a sinner and you can't teach us anything. (laughs) I mean, that was their view of even a lot of the people that weren't religious, quote unquote. And so their circle of love, if you could think about it, their circle of love was pretty small. It was us four and no more. (laughs) I mean, it was pretty, that, that circle was pretty small. But they thought if they could just keep that, that they would be okay with God. And Jesus says, well, wait there a minute. Let me tell you what a good neighbor is. And then he expands, he, he expounds that, uh, that, uh, that truth as far as what does a neighbor mean. In other words, Jesus gives the parable to try to open this man's thinking up about what does it mean to have a neighbor? What does it mean to be neighborly? Uh, what does it mean? Why, why is this so radical for us, for, for this man, let's say? And so we have the parable, and the parable is really, I mean, 
Who's not heard the parable of the Good Samaritan? Nobody in this room, right? We've all read it. We all know it. In fact, if somebody uh, were to ask you about your Christianity, you'd say, well, I think I'm a good neighbor, right? I think I've, I think I've you know, I don't, I don't steal from my neighbor. Uh, there's been a few occasions where he threw grass, where he's done something to me, and I might have thrown done something back. But typically, we would say, you know, I understand this parable, but, but what happens is actually, so what would happen is that the Jewish, so the priest would go up to Jerusalem for about two weeks, the, the actual um, priest, and they would go up there and they would serve in the temple. And while they're serving in the temple, they would stay there for those two weeks and then they would travel. Most of the priests lived in Jericho. Jericho was about 3,300 feet lower than Jerusalem. So when it talks about going up to Jerusalem, well, you go on, you, if you climb 3,300 feet, you'd be tired, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I climbed 1,500 and I about passed out. Uh, so, here, so, so this man has been beaten by these robbers, these people, and they almost leave him half dead. And this man is a Jew, but he's not dead. And the priest, it says, comes along and he walks on the other side of the road. And I'm thinking this man, if he's half dead, is thinking, oh boy, Thank you, Lord, for sending somebody to help. It's a priest. And the priest just walks on. And then, now, see, so the priest was from the line of Aaron. And then here comes, a, here comes uh, you know, one of the Levites. And you think, well, Levites, they're descendants of Levi, not of Aaron, but they, are, they, they work in the temple. They're there for two weeks, and they come home. And then you say, well, what? And when they see the man, they walk on the other side. And you kind of wonder, well, what excuses were they giving? What, what, was, what was in their thinking? Were they too busy? Were they late for dinner? Uh, were they just missing their, their family? Um, were they afraid that they might get beaten up? Because, I mean, think about it. This place that uh, even today I'm told that as you go down from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho, that even still there, because of the caves and other things, there's still people, bandits, that hide out. So, you know, if you're, if you're by yourself and you break down, you probably don't want to be broken down in that area. I mean, it's a dangerous place. It's a, it's a place where you don't want to be broken down. And maybe they were afraid of being attacked or maybe they just, you know, I'm just too busy. You know, we, don't, we aren't told. We aren't told that. But interesting, we are told that a Samaritan comes by. Now, you know who the Samaritans were, right? They were considered half-breeds. What happened is when uh, Assyria invaded Israel back about, you can figure it was about 640, 740 B.C., what happened is that the Assyrians captured Israel, the northern Israel, northern part from Samaria on that up, and they took those people, many of those people away, and then they brought foreigners in who intermarried with the remaining inhabitants of Samaria. And so they were considered not pure Jews. And at this time, the Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, the reason they would go down to Jericho is so they could cross over the Jordan and go up the other side because they didn't want the dust of Samaria to defile their feet. I mean, that's how, you know, that's how, if you want to say it, that was how uh, hatred, that's how much hatred they had for the Samaritans. 
But as this Samaritan sees, it says, he sees Jesus, or sees the, actually sees the man, the, the, the Jewish man. And it says that he has compassion, verse 33. He has compassion. That, that word, in other words, he, that the word compassion is, the, his, he, just, he was just affected to the point of doing something. And it says he came to him where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And what did compassion do? He got out the oil and the wine, and he bound up his wounds. He got him back to health. He took him to the closest inn. He gave the man two denarii. By the way, that would keep you for about two weeks. So that'd be like, you know, putting you in a holiday inn for two weeks. And then he says, if, if you lack anything, I'll come back and pay you. Anything that's remaining of the debt, I'll pay. And, and probably for those two days, it says that he took care of him. Interrupted his schedule, his time, what he wanted to do. Uh, I mean, think about, think about selflessness there. I mean, when, when I'm thinking about helping someone, I'm thinking like, can I fit this into what? My schedule. My schedule is king. I've got stuff to do, places to go, people to see, things, you know, things are just piling up on me. And, you know, and, and as they pile up, guess what? Man, I just don't know if I have enough time to help anybody. And I think the priest and, you know, the pri by the way, you know, you think, well, why did the priest, one of the reasons the priest and Levi may not have touched the man, if the man was half dead and he died, guess what would happen? They were ceremonially defiled. They have to go back to Jerusalem. They can't go home. <laughs> They'll defile their family. They got to go back to Jerusalem. They've got to spend two more weeks going through ceremonial cleansing at their expense, which means they have to buy the animals and so forth and so on, and then go back down. Pretty inconvenient, right? Well, I, I, I don't want to get involved here. No, have you ever asked yourself, I don't want to get involved? Or you see somebody who's really struggling, you say, yeah, it's going to take too much of my time. It's... And by the way, you know why we all can, can identify with this? Because we all have what? broken the second table of the law i mean the guy i mean jesus is basically saying look you know if you're going to be a good neighbor if you're going to fulfill the second table of the law then you have to have love people this way and this is not just loving people that you like this is loving your enemy because the Samaritans, he was, when I think that man, when he's laying there and he looks up and he's like, oh no, it's a Samaritan. He's going to kill me. No, the, the, it's the Samaritan was considered an enemy and the Jew was considered his enemy. And yet he doesn't do what is expected. He goes a hundred, a hundred times more than what's expected of him and shows compassion his time, he gives of his time, his wealth. He exposes himself to danger and uh, shows something about the fact that he loved his enemy. See, that's what it means to, to love your neighbor means to love even those people that you don't also agree with. It's pretty amazing. Now, and we could all say, okay, Lord, I need Jesus, right? That's the whole point of the law, right? The law shows us that we have to be perfect before God to be saved. And, what's, and, what, and what does God do when God's doing that? Brothers and sisters, don't think that God's showing you your need to throw that in your face to say, see, I told you you're condemned. No, he always does that and says, I'm here because I am a God who forgives sins 
and that there will be a price to pay, but that cost will be absorbed by the, none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus basically was saying, look, the law, the law always condemns us. It always shows us what's right before God, but it doesn't give us the power to obey. That comes, that, that power to obey God comes through Jesus Christ. Not perfectly, but it does come, right? I mean, even when somebody, I mean, think about it. If somebody's going to the, to, to the death, to, to let's say the electric chair, there's certain amount of compassion even there, right? And so here Jesus is saying, as he concludes this, he says, um, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man, verse 36, who fell among the robbers? Now, how does the, pre, how does the scribe respond to that? He doesn't say the Samaritan, does he? He can't even, he can't even bring, he so hates Samaritan so badly. He says, I guess the man who took care of him. That's how much animosity and hatred he had in his heart. I couldn't even say Samaritan. Couldn't even call him by his right race or his right, you know, identity. And he says, wow, the one who showed him mercy. And what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. He's not saying do that to be saved. Because he knows that none of us can do that perfectly. But Jesus Christ did something even more, didn't he? You know, when we come to this table, that's the whole point of this table, is to say the one who perfectly obeyed the law of God. I mean, think about it. Not only loved God with his whole heart, might, and soul, and strength, but loved his neighbor perfectly. That's why Jesus came. He lived the life that we could not live and he paid a debt that we could never pay. And it wasn't for this table, we would, be, we would be condemned. This table is not a table of condemnation. It is a table of life and mercy and grace. It's not a table where God says, well, I would like to show grace, but I'm grading you. Which would you rather have, grades or grace? <laughs> I'd rather have grace, right? But boy... All our lives, what do we do in school? Man, I got to get the good grade. I got to get the good grade in order to get the right school. And if I get the right school, then I'll get the right job. And if I get the right job, but it's all about getting the grade. And Jesus is saying, no, get grace. God gives grace to the humble, but what? He's opposed to the proud. See, the proud will never say, well, you know, I think there's a loophole in the law and it's like W.C. Fields, you know, he's reading his Bible just fervently at the end of his life and somebody says to him, W.C., why in the world are you reading a Bible? And he says, looking for loopholes. Looking for loopholes. Now, you can read the Bible all your life, but you're not going to find any loopholes. But what you will find is that you will find directions to the feet of Jesus, to the cross. And it's there you find mercy and grace in your time of need. And brothers and sisters, this is where I go. I mean, because when I read the law of God, I realize, Lord, man, I am really, I really fall far short. I have trouble sometimes just loving my neighbor that lives beside me, much less loving, loving my enemies, you know. I remember one time thinking that my neighbor, well, I don't know if I should tell this story, but I will because, you know, I, I'm kind of silly that way. But anyway, so here I am. I, I come out to my truck. I'm on my way to church because I'm preaching the message. And I look at my truck and I'm thinking, 
who in the world threw their garbage in my truck? And I thought it was the neighbor. And so I threw it back, you know, and then I go to church so that I'm serving the Lord. I want people to know that I'm preaching, you know. Now, that's, that shows you the ugliness in my heart, okay? But Jesus is saying, are you a good neighbor, right? Because what does the gospel do? See, the thing that this Samaritan is missing is this. He comes upon, Jesus is saying, when we come upon brokenness, remember, you're broken. And as a Christian, if I could keep that in my mind, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm broken, and I come to Jesus for what? For forgiveness. But I've been, bro- I've been what? God is healing me. The gospel heals. And then all of a sudden, God says, now look at the brokenness out here. There are, there are people out here that are, that, that are different from you. They might be a different race. They might be of a different uh, background, social uh, background. They might have different perspectives. They might dress differently. They might have, I mean, you know, today, I mean, you run up on people that got tattoos all over the body. <laughs> you know, you know and you're kind of like, okay, wow, I'm trying to, to find some, some way to relate but God puts Christians, what, in a broken world because we're broken. And he puts his glory inside of that brokenness because why? So that the glory would shine out. That's what a cracked pot is, right? Clay vessels, they're, they're, they're cracked. We're cracked, by the way. <laughs> we're cracked pots. No, we're not cracked pots. But anyway, we are cracked vessels, right? And what happens? The glory shines out to the people that are broken. See, I mean, I don't see how more broken we could get as a society, but we are in a society broken and we as broken people who have found Christ and his forgiveness and his cleansing, we go out into that brokenness because they need healing. And where does the healing come from? It comes from pointing them to the feet of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from, you know, I, 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 can, I can lecture, but that's not going to do any good, right, Donnie? <laughs> the Holy Spirit has to take the Word of God, and it got, it, it's like, it, it's, it's like a, the Bible says that Word of God is like a hammer. So when the Holy Spirit gets the Word of God, it, it's like a hammer, and he just whacks you and gets your attention and brings conviction. And that's what Jesus is saying here because we live in this brokenness. And what happens if you teach, if you're in Sunday school and you're teaching kids, don't just teach them the stories, the, the nice stories. Now think about it, all the stories. We, don't just teach them a story about the Old Testament, about Noah, without pointing them to Jesus. Don't take the main character out of the story. The Old Testament, you know, if you're teaching about Samson, Samson failed as a judge, but Jesus didn't. Don't leave out the most important character in the story. That'd be like you taking all your favorite movies. Let's just say you had five favorite movies. And you get the chance to edit all those movies and take out the most favorite scenes in those movies. Now, that's kind of cool, right? But if I edit out the main character, what's going to happen? Missed the point of the movie. <laughs> That'd be like watching... Um, it's a wonderful life and taking Jimmy Stewart out, right? Or what was it? Bailey was his name. Or, or let's just say you're, you're watching Braveheart and you take out, uh, you take out William Wallace, and, and, which is what, Bill? Uh, anyway. <laughs> you, so if you did that, what would happen? You would miss the point of the story. 
But oftentimes we will read the Bible, even in the Old Testament, forget that all those sacrifices, all those Levitical sacrifices, all the things that, that the prophets were talking about was pointing to Messiah. We need Jesus. We need, the, we need the forgiveness of sins. And what happens when Jesus comes, he says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life. And it says what? And they testify of me. They point to Jesus. You read the Old Testament without understanding that all of this is pointing to your need of Jesus, then you'll miss the point. You're editing the scriptures. You're editing the main character out. Our story is a small part of the bigger story of redemption. What is the story of redemption? Creation. God created us in the image of God. Male and female, not the 15 other categories they say that there's out there. There's 15 other genders. I don't know what they are, but I do know male and female. And I'm going to try to figure out all those other 13 because the Bible doesn't say that there are 13 others, right? But then there's this fall, and it's disrupting, and it's brought all this brokenness into the world. And when I look at it, I want to say, Lord, come right now because I really don't want to feel, deal with it. And then what happens? Then there's the story of redemption, Right beginning with Genesis 3, because God clothes them with clothing, and he kills an animal. There's redemption. So you got the, what, creation, fall, redemption, and then what are you going to have? You're going to have consummation and glorification when Jesus comes again. That's not there yet. But we have to keep those episodes together when we study the Bible. When we, even like in this, this parable, if we came away from this and says, well, if I can just be like Jesus then I could earn my salvation. You missed the point. The point of the parable is you need Jesus because he's the only one that's did this perfectly. And that's why we have a table to come to and say, Lord, thank you for this table. I mean, this, is, this table, I mean, think about it. This table, if you could think about it, we have the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. They ate from what tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they fell. Then we have the tree of love. What held Jesus to the cross? God's love for you and me. And when we get to heaven, what are we going to eat? It says we're going to eat from the tree of life. Again. You see the theme of scripture? Tree of life. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Brokenness, sin, rebellion. Tree of love. God's grace. Tree of life. I'm going to sit and eat from the tree of life. For eternity, without end. And I'm looking forward to that, but until then, I'm going to, when I come to this table, I know it's a table of grace, and it's a table of mercy. And when we come to this table this morning, I trust that that's how we come to realizing, Lord, I need this as much as anybody else does. That I look around and I see the brokenness, but I see the brokenness first in myself and my need for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we just ask that as we come together to reflect and to observe this uh, special table, Lord, that we come and we feast. Father, not with so much, not just sadness, but we feast with joy and delight in our hearts that we are invited to this table. It is a table of grace and a table prepared by the loving hands of Jesus, and for this we give thanks. Amen.